are listening to the Unsung Lung Podcast, presented by Alberta Lung. everyone and a happy October to everybody celebrating spooky season. In all seriousness, I am so excited to bring you another episode of the Unsung Lung podcast and today's show is an amazing combination of climate change, environmental factors and lung health. My name is Jacob Sperling and I am the host of our great show. Before we dive into the interview today, I just wanted to remind you that as we approach the winter months, Alberta Lung's radon initiatives are starting to kick into full gear. This includes programs like Tackle Hunger and our library lending program for radon detection kits. Visit www.ablung.ca forward slash radon to learn about radon, how it is the leading cause of lung cancer in non-smoking Canadians, and even watch a video about how to mitigate radon if the levels in your home are high. I'll give a little extra plug for the radon video that Alberta Lung produced as I make a special cameo in it. So if you want to see your favorite podcast host in action, head over to Alberta Lung's website. Now for today's episode. On this month's show, we're going to be talking all things climate change, environmentalism, and how these topics can affect our lung health. We'll be chatting with Melanie Langell, the president and CEO of New Brunswick Lung, also known as NB Lung. Melanie has held this position at NB Lung since July of 2021. She received her Bachelor of Science from the University of New Brunswick, where she focused on biology, wildlife, and ecology. After that, she received her Master's of Environmental Science from the University of Toronto, specializing in risk-based remediation, human health, and ecological risk management. What all those things mean, I have not a clue, but that's why we're talking to Melanie today. We'll be discussing how NB Lung has for decades been focused on air pollution and climate change as they both represent risks to lung health. Melanie and the team at NB Lung have focused on federal policy around emissions, chemical management, and pesticides. In addition to discussing environmental factors generally, we'll also be talking about some of the specific programs that NB Lung has been invested in, like their Healthy Homes Initiative, which aims to replace chemical cleaners around the home with DIY green and non-toxic ingredients. We'll also be discussing PM 2.5 monitoring. This program used citizen science by utilizing real-time data available online. NB Lung was a part of a national pilot project and now are adding more sensors to the network, including in provincial parks. PM 2.5, just so those uh, for people who don't know, is the component in wildfire smoke, wood stove smoke, and traffic pollution that is of most concern to lung health. There is also the Health Professionals for Action on Climate Change program, which brings evidence-based resources to health professionals to teach them the links between climate and health, and to enable them to have these conversations with their patients. I am so excited to dive into everything lung health and environment with Melanie today, and I really hope you enjoy the show. So without any more delay, I'll pass you on to my interview with the President and CEO of New Brunswick Lung, Melanie Lange. Well, it is such a pleasure to have one of the most forward thinkers in Canada on lung health and environmental factors on our show today. So a big welcome to Melanie, who is the President and CEO of NB Lung. How's it going today, Melanie? It's going well. Thank you, Jacob. Perfect. We, we we spoke beforehand and uh, not to give too much away, but there's apparently a big industrial fire in St. John's, which is affecting a lot of Atlantic Canada. Well, I won't say a lot, but we'll, we can get into that later. And that's certainly an environmental factor. So we might as well dive straight into our first question. So I'm curious, what drew you to an education in biology and environmental sciences? And 
did you just love to be outdoors as a kid or is it a little more nuanced than that? Well, I kind of had a circuitous um, path to get to where I am, actually. Um, if you ask five-year-old me what I wanted to be, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Um, so it's a uh, very different kind of what, what I've done over the years. But uh, so I started um, in my, my education um, in university in biology. And then I just kind of followed what piqued my interest. So I love the ecology part of that, sort of the systems thinking. And then I got a summer job with the provincial environment department and then stumbled across this master's program in environmental science that seems like a good fit. Very cool. Yeah, I think everyone has that phase when they're a kid. I wanted to be a marine biologist, but being landlocked in Alberta, that certainly wasn't very easy to justify. I would have had to move up to Vancouver and buy a $3 million house on a marine biologist salary, and I don't think that would work. So <laughs> anyways, um, <laughs> so you mentioned that you used to do work in environmental engineering and the human health effects from vapors entering buildings, and that obviously has a lot to do with lung health. So I'm wondering if you could tell us about that. Absolutely. So my specialty became over time um, from an environmental risk assessment perspective, the, the heavy science that's involved in modeling and measuring contaminant derived vapors that can come from, I work a lot in oil spills and other industrial releases. Uh, and sometimes you're just not able to clean that all up. And, and some of that remains in the soil beneath the building. And so we would look at um, what was there, what the building was like, what could possibly move from the subsurface and into the air that people were breathing. And a lot of that um, um, modeling was based actually on radon studies and how um, radon gas moves from the subsurface and into homes. So um, we would look at what was in, in the soil, in the vapor, uh, and predict the risk for people living in that building based on a lot of assumptions of um, human biology and behavior and building parameters that influence those vapor movements. Very cool. Yeah, radon is coming around the corner. Well, I shouldn't say coming around the corner. It's always around, but obviously radon kicks in a high gear when winter comes around because people have their windows closed and it just accumulates more. You'll have to forgive me. I, it's been a while since I touched on the specifics of radon across Canada. It's really bad in the prairies. I want to say it's really bad in Atlantic Canada too. Can, can you touch on that? Yeah, you're right. Uh, Atlantic Canada has some of the highest um, radon levels in the country, and, and New Brunswick is, is no different there. Um, we also have some of the highest rates of lung cancer, so it's probably um, cause and effect. We also have really high, historically really high smoking rates. So when you add smoking exposure and radon exposure, it just uh, increases your, your risk of cancer. Definitely. It's funny. I was in, where was I? I was in Canadian Tire the other day and I was going to get a light bulb and I walked past this enclosure and it was all radon tested. I was like, whoa, that's so cool because I, I'd never, I'd never seen it before. It usually it's, it's not that popular. And it was like the w wavelength. I don't remember just like the really fancy ones all the way to the smaller, less expensive ones. And it's cool that it's picking up steam in our culture because it, I mean, before I started working with Alberta Lung, I didn't know it was a thing. So it's it's nice that it has its own piece in hardware stores nowadays, and hopefully they're selling and people are testing because it's a huge health risk. It's just not talked about. So yeah, it, it's good that that's happening. Uh, so now that you're actually with NB Lung, how has your focus shifted from a purely scientific point of view to one that has sort of a social component now in being a charity? Well, part of what I was describing before about how we would make these assumptions on what an individual's risk would be like based on those vapors from contaminants, or maybe it's right on moving into a house, I started to realize that there was a lot of um, gaps in all that generalization. Um, and there were a lot of vulnerabilities um, to individuals that are not necessarily um, captured in that sort of assessment. So I wanted to move into a role where I could have more of a positive influence on the whole of, of the public and not just, just the individual. Yeah, that's that's very cool. I think it, it's, it's important to take that perspective because we, well, I mean, at Alberta Lung, we're, we're trying to build the first home away from home. I'm not sure, to, sure if you've heard about Breathing Space. It's an incredible initiative. So mm -hmm. 
you, we can we can focus on the scientific aspects of lung health all we want, but if there isn't someone to push that in and and help uh, kind of activate the programs that need to be helped, it doesn't matter. You can have all the scientific studies you want. If you don't have someone like boots on the ground doing stuff, it doesn't really matter at all. So from an organizational perspective, I'm just wondering why does NB Lung take such a macro view, and that's obviously a generalization. Uh, so I'm wondering why they take a, a bigger macro view on lung health being environmental factors affecting lung health instead of more of a nuanced approach like targeting specific lung diseases. And obviously, you might do that, and I just don't have the knowledge yet. But um, yeah, what I, I, just generally, uh, why the why the emphasis on environmental factors impacting lung health? Certainly. So yes, we do. We do work with individuals um, living with lung disease right now. But the focus on the air we breathe really speaks to our vision of a world where lung disease is virtually eliminated. Because we know that a lot of um, exposures to chemicals and pollutants increases the risk of developing lung disease over time. So we're looking to um, really reduce that burden of d- disease um, for everybody. Because not you know. One in five New Brunswickers lives with lung disease now, um, but 100% of us have lungs, and they're a very delicate organ. And uh, there's lots that we can do to protect what is being, what those organs are being exposed to on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, it's funny. A few of the stats actually that you said point out to me. Well, uh, the first is that you NB Lung would prefer not prefer that the goal is a world without lung disease, and that's one of our models as well. But also the one in five portion, that's exactly our stat too. One in five Albertans like lives with a lung disease. And when you say one in five, okay, whatever, 20%. Oh, that's 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 a big stat. So it's just kind of how you put it. And you, and you don't want to use scare tactics, but that's just how it is sometimes. So I, I'm going to go with a little bit of uh, an, an ad-lib question here and, and ask you just what are what we'll we'll get into it uh afterwards uh, with what the most fixable and unfixable ones are but i'm wondering if you can tell the listeners what kind of environmental factors you're looking at that do affect lung health like uh just generally um from wildfire smoke to chemicals and uh, what what other things are there there is so much and i think Every charity's vision is to kind of work themselves out of work. And given the threats to lung health in our environment, I I don't see that happening anytime soon. So we kind of focus on three main environmental issues. Um, and I lump right on into one of those. So we talk about indoor air quality, um, and that it includes you know, the natural radon and also the anthropogenic sources of uh, so human-made human brought into our space, um, air pollution that we bring into our homes. We look also at um, pollution prevention strategies on a even national level. So a lot of those policies are um, regulated at the national level and then trickle down to the provinces to implement. Um, and then we're also looking at climate change. Um, so climate change is having major effects on, uh, on the air we breathe, particularly with respect to wildfires, um, but not limited to wildfires. Um, so the longer pollen season for for one thing. I don't know if you have seasonal allergies, but I do. And allergy season, season in quotes, doesn't seem to go away like it did um, when I was younger. So it that uh, that really speaks to the changes in our environment where the growing season is longer, and it's also um, um, our environment is more hospitable to different plant species that weren't around before um, that that are that are irritants. So um, for those living with lung disease, is particularly challenging um, because asthma tends to go hand in hand with allergies, tends to go hand in hand with with uh, a number of different um, um, irritants in the environment. Definitely, it, it's funny that you mentioned the seasonal allergies. I have horrible seasonal allergies, and it feels like it just switches from like pollen in the summer to snow mildew in the winter, yeah. and the stuff in our house is just there all the time from dust to everything. And then also you mentioned the anthropogenic. I was thinking of the time when, when you're walking in the mall and you walk past the bath and body works, but I got that right. I always screw that, I screw that mm-hmm. up with bed, bath and beyond. And it smells amazing. And then you buy one of their candles, you bring it home, you light it up. And I'm not encouraging this. I'm not sure your stance on candles at Alberta lung. We hate them. They're not, mm-hmm. not good for you. 
super chemically. Um, but it, and it just smells like crap after you light it up, and it's horrible for you. Maybe uh, talk about what what your what Lung's feelings are on something as simple as candles. Yeah, we lump that into indoor air pollution. So anything um, uh, fragrances is a really big concern that I have um, because they are full of chemicals that are the science is just starting to catch up with what what we've been seeing over the last couple of years but the regulations and how we regulate chemicals at a national level is not catching up with that science so there's kind of a leg and a leg and a leg um but we're starting to realize that the chemicals that make the smelly things smelly uh, and make the smells last and linger in the air actually have major impacts on a number of organ systems um so our, our stance at MB Long is to avoid fragrances in everything. Definitely. Uh, uh, another ad lib question. I've seen this on my reels on Instagram lately. Maybe I'm too much of a fall person, but, uh, and if you don't know the answer to this, don't worry about it. But I'm wondering what your take is. It's obviously more natural, but you're seeing these like house stovetop smelling pots. And, and if you don't know what that is, I'll explain it for you and our listeners. It's like you boil like, two quarts of water or something you throw in a few slices of oranges cinnamon sticks like natural things cloves and you bring that to a boil and you just let it kind of simmer and it makes your house smell really good and folly is that okay or are those fragrances still still not good for you because you're inhaling small particulate matter is that better since it's less artificial chemicals as long as you're not burning it there's not going to be the the fine particulate matter and actually that's um, that's something that I recommend people that want to have that sort of smell in their home um, because you can, you can do so quite safely um, as opposed to the alternative of the, the candle that smells like cloves and, and lemon and, and oranges is um, completely artificially derived and the chemicals involved in that are, are really quite, quite scary. Right. And maybe you can uh, confirm this. Uh, well, they're, 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 they're both dangerous, both the wick and the oil itself. But I, I, I feel like I remember hearing somewhere along my paths that actually the wick is one of the most dangerous because it's the part that's burning that you're inhaling. So is are the chemicals that are burning in the oil around it just as dangerous or is it the wick that's actually not great either? I would say that's a comparing apples to oranges question. Um, they're, they're both, they both have negatives health effects and I, I think that um framing up fragrances as a source of air pollution in the home is is helpful and there's no state level of air pollution regardless of of um, you know what chemical form it is it's, it's all um every exposure to air pollution increases your risk of various um, health effects Definitely. Yeah. So back on to the scheduled questions. We went a little <laughs> bit off. Thanks for joining me on that ride off the path. So this might be a little bit too broad of a question, but taking all environmental factors into account, like we mentioned, artificial air pollution inside, wildfire smoke, car emissions, just anything we can think of, which are the most easily fixable and the least fixable for affecting a positive change in lung health? So in other words, what could we as humans easily change to affect a net benefit to lung health and which environmental chemicals are just too ingrained in our everyday living to sort of eradicate? That's really interesting the way you pose that question. Um, when, when you say which ones are too ingrained to eradicate, I'm, I'm still in the hopeful that, that we can make some changes um, over time. But recognizing that there's no safe level of air pollution, every little bit makes a difference. So uh, from an individual perspective, I think that the most impactful thing that a Canadian can do to help not just themselves, but others in their area, knowing that pollution transcends boundaries, moves across provincial boundaries, national boundaries, et cetera, um, is to limit the amount of air pollution that you create yourself um, by adopting wherever you can um, zero emission strategies for heating your home and from getting, for getting you from point A to point B. So that looks different for, for everybody and, and easier said than done for, for some folks especially on the, the transportation side of things. 
um, you know, New Brunswick, we're really rural, so there's a lot of reliance on individual cars. Um, but uh, we do work a lot in um, in zero emission vehicle advocacy to help people consider moving to uh, an EV for their next vehicle, um, looking at ways to carpool, back to transportation, etc. But that takes a lot of different forms depending on depending on who you are. But those are actions that um, can benefit the wider population. Um, from an individual perspective, um, and we actually kind of segued into this in, in, in your Oscar questions about, um, I think one of the biggest things you can do in your home is to eliminate scents. Um, we know that a lot of the fragrance chemicals are linked to increase in incidence of developing asthma and um, other lung diseases, when, especially when young children are exposed to those. Um, so, and, and also, it's kind of a, a long range, and maybe hard hard for listeners to kind of make that connection. But a lot of fragrances are actually derived from fossil fuels. So, when we talk about decarbonizing and the need to decarbonize to um, minimize the impacts of climate change, reducing your consumer demand for things like fragrances that are increasing that demand for fossil fuels is, can be a really powerful thing that an individual can do. With respect to things that are harder um, to do, I think our society is really, really uh, ingrained in plastics. Uh, plastics were an amazing revolution uh, at the time. You know, all, all these you know chemi- or dishes that don't break, and you know all the great things. It's hard to look around and not be faced with a whole bunch of plastic. You know, I'm looking around my desk and I've got pens and I've got this and I've got that that are all made of plastic. Um, but again, these are derived. From fossil fuels. Um, so, um, and there's a lot of air pollution uh, associated with extracting the fossil fuels, refining it, and then the end of life um, recycling and their disposal of those plastic products. You know, they're often, I mean, they're incinerated, that those chemicals going out into the air. Um, so, I'm hopeful for a day where we can um, kick the habit, but uh, I think that that one's going to take uh, it's a, a longer term plan. Definitely. Yeah. One of the things that I pulled from your comments there was just, again, the fragrances. I didn't know we were going to be going this hard in fragrances this episode, but I'm glad to do it. It's important to bring it up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the the emergence of adult onset asthma because of the increased uh, amount of fragrances in one's home. I can't remember the stat. Uh, we used to put this in our presentations that we would give to schools and businesses. It was like 25% or 100%. It was a big number of the increased amount uh, of likelihood that you are to get adult onset asthma. And I've mentioned this before, and we actually had the chief operating officer of Alberta Lung on the show. She has scent-induced asthma. So if she sits across the, the table in a restaurant from someone who's wearing a ton of perfume, she'll react massively, have to leave the building entirely, go grab her puffer if she doesn't have it on her and just sort of uh bring those symptoms down which is really scary and and one thing i'm glad about seeing is that we're seeing more scent free environments uh just the other day i got a i think it was an email blast from the university of alberta where i'm at school and at the very bottom there was a little colorful graphic that said remember we're a scent free university please be cautious about uh other people and be conscious of other people so what what are your feelings on that and kind of society's move to uh, scent-free environments well we're getting there um but we certainly have a long ways to go um we're uh, we're sort of peeling back the layers of the onion of, of the work that i do here jacob but i'm involved in a couple of national projects with respect to um, increasing accessibility in the indoor airspace and so accessible built environment um, because there are a number of disabilities related to um, indoor air pollution. So um, multiple chemical sensitivities is a recognized disability now uh, and there's a need to move really urgently through uh, to get ourselves off of this reliance and, and um, habit of using fragrances and products. And it's not just uh, I'd like to just have this nuance here. It's not just fragrance products, but even a lot of the unscented products you'll see on the shelves. If you read the ingredients, one of the ingredients is often fragrance or parfum. 
And that's because it's used as a masking agent because that, you know, hand lotion or whatever might have an unpleasant smell just based on the ingredients that make it the, the lotion that you want. Um, so fragrance can be added to a product that is labeled unscented. And so um, for a lot of people living with these extreme sensitive sensitivities, that can be the difference between a space being accessible or not. That's super interesting. I've never heard that before, that you have to use scent to cover up the scent to make it scentless. Oh, my goodness, that's yeah. crazy. Um, from maybe from a more practical point of view, are there any tips that you have to, I don't know, we're not going to do a, a one-on-one on going scentless, but are there things to look for in the supermarket or is it kind of just you have to start going more DIY with your cleaners and your shampoos? Like, what's the best way to implement these these practices and go scent free is it going to the organic section in the supermarket like what what's the best way to do that i'm going to tell you it's really hard um i so i have an advanced science degree i'm a label reader i have three different apps on my phone to scan barcodes to see what's in them and it's still really really hard so Thankfully, in Canada, there is a requirement on personal care products, um, so your shampoos and, and hand creams and those sorts of things, to list all the ingredients. Um, one of those ingredients can just be fragrance, um, because that's considered a trade secret, um, the actual formulation of what that, um, what that fragrance is. Um, but reading the labels and avoiding anything with fragrance is really helpful. Absolutely easier said than done. Um, I recently developed a sensitivity to the fragrance in shampoos and went to the store looking for a fragrance-free, not not unscented, fragrance-free um, shampoo. And out of the hundred or so choices, there was one single product that um, that worked for me. So that's really challenging. Um, the the same rules don't apply to um, cleaning products. There's not as much of a demand or requirement to list all the ingredients on the package. So I have gone down this rabbit hole of looking at products in the store and then scouring the websites and trying to find what's in it. Um, and it's not easy. So again, there's a couple of apps that you can use that will, will help to, to um, scan those barcodes and things like that. But at the end of the day, knowing that things with fragrance in them are risky and avoiding that fragrance as much as possible. So you know that a lot of the cleaners have fragrances in them, and, and really it's a marketing piece um, more than anything. We we have been <laughs> kind of trained that green apple smell equals clean uh, and things like that. So um, we do, actually, I just spoke to a group of nurses about a, a program that we have about uh, healthy home cleaning and, and that you really can... Um, meet all your cleaning needs with a lot of non-toxic um, ingredients that are probably in your kitchen cupboards already. Right. It's sort of a Pavlov's dog sensation where we get like, mm, citrusy lemon means my <laughs> countertop is clean. Whereas if you just use, like, I can't remember those, there's a combination of a few really natural ingredients, one being vinegar and that, that mm -hmm. completely sterilizes your countertop the exact same way, but won't affect your lung health at all. Uh, and, and that was really interesting what you said. So look for fragrance free, not unscented. I've never heard that either. That's a really good piece of advice. Um, and then another piece that from from your earlier uh, longer comment about easier and not easier ways to affect lung health, I pulled away uh, is transportation. And our last guest uh, spoke about the need for high speed transportation, specifically trains that would help Canada immensely and reduce fossil fuels because they're electric and things of that nature. I've always been thinking about a high-speed train going from Edmonton to Calgary. That's obviously a local bias on my part. We could do so much across Canada. <laughs> but um, what's your what's your thoughts on sort of like communal travel and and I guess buses and and things of that nature? Do, do we need to see that skyrocket in Canada, or is it just so? Is that another piece why it's so hard because individual travel is so ingrained in our culture? I think it's a bit of column A, a bit of column B. Um, the infrastructure is not there for everyone, um, and and we're just so used to. Uh, I get in my car and I go here, um, but I think regardless of of what form you take, you can always make choices 
to um, to reduce. So trying to get away from that mindset of um, good getting or perfect getting in the way of good. Um, you know, we don't have to make perfectly um, environmentally friendly choices in every aspect of our lives, but the individual choices that you make on a day-to-day basis can really can really add up and make a difference. Definitely, yeah. So in taking a little bit of a one well, not a 180, but we'll do a little bit of a subject change now. And I'm just wondering how you think that government and policymakers come into play with all this. So can political agendas affect lung health, as general as that question is, to a high degree? Absolutely. And I think it's just a regrettable reality that some of the major changes that need to happen to protect all lungs, for example, immediate and drastic action on climate change, not politically popular. Um, and we kind of have painted ourselves into a corner where our decision makers are, you know, they they have to have a short term focus, uh, you know, for their own reelection and those sorts of things. But these systemic um, big picture changes require big picture thinking and long term um, long term considerations. Definitely. Uh, I'm in a healthcare ethics and the law class. And yesterday uh, it's a seminar. So we're everyone's asking questions and going around. And one uh, one of my fellow students asked a question about how does government and policy affect bioethics or something of that nature? And my professor just rolled their eyes because you could see it affects everything like policy and government affects everything. So it's just interesting on that front that. Uh, like you said, uh, it it's it's horrible that we have to think of the short term, and these people need to get reelected. So it has to be immediate, and it's hard to think long term on that on that front. But that's that's just the way of the world, and I don't think there's any changing it. Democracy, if you want to go that deep into it, so we're kind of stuck with it. But as you mentioned earlier, it's about making individual choices on the daily, and you can affect what your MLA says or what the premier says or what the prime minister says about health, but you can affect what you do in your own life. And kind of where we're coming from a charity perspective is if we can reduce your chance of getting lung disease, then we can do that on, on every individual front, then there will be less lung disease in general. So. Yeah. And those individual um, changes do have a lot of power. So if you are enacting change by using your wallet, you know, you are choosing to buy the unscented product and then you tell two friends and they tell two friends and they tell two friends, well, supply and demand is going to um, sort of, you know, respond to that. So if there's less and less demand for these highly toxic products, they're, they're going to start to, uh, they're not going to be as attractive for the industry to make. Um, and that, that's one way that we can enact change. You know, at the same time, you know, working at policy level and national level requires you make stricter policies, but the, the wheels of that bureaucracy are very, very, very slow. So we need both. We need the individuals uh, who are aware and want to make change, make those changes in their daily life to show to the policymakers that it is important and those changes, you know, we should move those wheels a little quicker. Yeah, exactly. So in in switching gears to something more local on your front, Atlantic Canada, New Brunswick, everything of that nature, I'd love to talk about some of the NB lung programs relating to climate and environmental factors. So I'm just wondering if you can start by telling us about your Healthy Homes Initiative. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I actually just, I think I mentioned this before, I was right before this, I was speaking to a group of nurses about our Healthy Homes Initiative where we have really distilled down the science of all of this chemical exposures and, and um, health considerations, which is, it's really heavy stuff, it's complicated, but we've made it accessible for, um, you know, the population in New Brunswick has some of the lowest literacy rates in the country um, and some of the highest burden of chronic disease. So we're trying to uh, serve that population in enabling them to make healthier choices in their homes. So we've taken this focus on home cleaning um, in recent, most recent years, and particularly trying to aim that outreach to new moms. So we're trying to make as much as possible healthier homes for babies to grow up in. 
so that they are reducing their exposures to some of these really common um, indoor air toxins um, and increasing their um, their potential health outcomes. So that program includes you know all sorts of resources um, that are aimed at the general population um, reading level, and we're trying to arm our uh, public health nurses with those resources so they can take it into homes and say, look, um, we have this quick resource guide that shows you all, all the home cleaning tasks that you may be faced with and says, and here's a list of these common safe ingredients to use. That we have recipes on how to make, you know, a toilet bowl cleaner or a floor cleaner or an oven cleaner. And it's, it's all just different proportions of vinegar and baking soda and unscented dish soap. And, um, you know, the, you can do everything you need. Um, with, with those safe products. And we're framing that in a way that the, pub, the public is really um, responding to in a way that you can save a whole lot of money here because we're so socially ingrained that you need a spray, you need a bathroom cleaner, you need a sink cleaner, you need a floor cleaner, you need a this, you need a that, you need a that. Uh, and all of that comes with a really good price tag. But this little kit that we've put together, you can put it together for about 40 bucks and it will do everything you need. Exactly. And we've seen really great uptake with it. People are really, really responding to it. And I'm excited about it. That's perfect. Yeah, it, it's funny. This is sort well, it's not off topic. It, it's exactly off topic. It's just not lung health. It's it's on the expense side. I, I saw a video the other day of a, a woman who made oat milk. I'm lactose intolerant. So I was watching this video and she made it for like a tenth of the cost of what you'd pay for a car, carton in store. And that's just what happens. You're going to pay the 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 price increase on just marketing and slapping a label on it where you as you can make something that's just as good and tailored to your preferences in our case it's unscented which is much better for your lungs so that's amazing and and, and based on the healthy homes initiative uh, from a charitable perspective do you uh, do you ever try to is it on the horizon um actually donating products to people in need is that is that something on your horizon or that you've done previously yeah we were able to with some funding um create we bought <laughs> we cleared canadian tire out of vinegar <laughs> we had to shop around in a couple of different um shops to to make we made uh, a number of these kits that had you know a, a vinegar a peroxide a baking soda um and we took them to different health centers um in the province so uh, and and uh, those different health centers sort of thought about where where they could use it and have the best impact. So some of them decided to give them to their like I had healthy family, healthy baby um, classes, so like a, a new mom support group type of thing. Um, and they were giving those kits to the individual moms. Um, some of them we just did. We have the we have these recipe cards that have all the recipes for all of all of your home cleaning tasks. And so. Those are a little uh, less costly for us to produce. We're able to give those, you know, a little bit wider. Um, so yeah, there, there's there's been uh, quite a bit of that, and we're really excited about it. Yeah, that's amazing. It, it, it's it's always great to blend the scientific and the charitable because we're trying to fund research, but we're also trying to, like I said earlier, have boots on the ground and help people directly. Uh, next question. I'm not even going to pretend like I know what PM 2.5 is, so I'm just going to ask you. What is the significance of the PM 2.5? I hope I'm saying that right even. What is yeah. the significant significance of that monitoring program? Okay, well, I'll start with what is PM 2.5. So that is um, fine particulate matter. So PM for particulate matter, 2.5, meaning smaller than two and a half microns in diameter. So really, really small um, particulate matter in outdoor air. And that the sources of that, Sort of air pollution are widespread. So uh, forest fire smoke, uh, well, any sort of smoke really, um, vehicle exhaust, um, those are sort of the main ones. Uh, so we have, um, we had a pilot program uh, where we had deployed some of these small PM 2.5 sensors across the province. And that was initially to augment the, uh, the density of air quality sensors that environment Canada and Environment and Climate Change Canada and Health Canada can use for the air quality health index forecasting. So uh, the air quality health index looks at PM 2.5 and a few other pollutants. Um, and we have just six stations across our province. 
So it's kind of limited. Uh, so we're, we're kind of painting the province with a broad brush when we talk about the air quality health index. So we've got about 35 of these sensors now in the province, um, and they are really accessible to citizens and scientists. So anybody who has a Wi-Fi connection and a plug can have one of these. Uh, and we enable you know, the 35 or so that are out there. We've funded them. Um, but we've also you know, just encouraging individuals to buy them. They're relatively low cost. Um, I have one at my house. Um, you can see the data in near real time. So um, if, if you were here beside me, I would be whipping up my phone and showing you the map. But um, I can't help but geek out on data being an environmental scientist. But um, that dense network of you know, 2.5 sensors has actually been really, really helpful in the times that we've had wildfire smoke, um, which is Thankfully, not um, a super um, um, a recurring issue in New Brunswick. Um, but when it does happen, um, we were able to, the air quality health forecasters were able to look at our data network in addition to the fixed you know, national air pollutant surveillance system uh, and provide localized uh, air quality health index, um, health protective messaging um, to make to uh, encourage people to make healthy choices when those when smoke is here. Yeah, that's super interesting. We obviously need uh, import of like aggregate data to to tell us what's happening across provinces. And with Canada being so large, it's hard to do that. But with charities like NB Lung and Alberta Lung, it's more possible because you have people donating money right back into the local provinces. So that that mm-hmm. sounds like an amazing program. So lastly, my final. Uh, sort of substantive question of the day. How does the Health Professionals for Action on Climate Change program directly benefit Canadians' lung health? Another great question, another program that I'm really proud of. Um, So this is um, providing evidence-based, quick-to-absorb health messaging to enable healthcare professionals to make changes themselves, you know, for more, more sustainable changes themselves but also to use their voice in advocacy. And they also are, they have direct touch points with so many people in the community that may not be thinking about climate change. Um, and they're a trusted voice. So when a healthcare professional can say, um, talk about things like um, the effects of heat waves on respiratory health, then it enables those uh, most vulnerable individuals uh, to to hear something they may not be um, you know, sort of listening to in other, in other aspects. So um, we've been doing this for a couple of years now. We're actually getting in front of uh, nursing students as part of their um, program and making those links between different aspects of health and climate change. So we we started obviously with respiratory health and climate change, but we've gone a little further um, because there's also climate change impacts on mental health. There's climate change impacts on cardiovascular health. Um, it, it goes on and on and on. And it's an area that the health professionals are uh, eager to play a part of because it has such a significant health uh, implication, but they just they don't know where to start. So we've taken the science and distilled it down into one-page resources. We had a podcast series, same thing, you can pop your headphones on when you're walking the dog and get a little bit of information about how we can make some changes in your life. Yeah, that's really cool. It's it's so important to to kind of inform the the first line of people who are affecting health and nurses and doctors. So that sounds like an amazing program. Honestly, I will be fully uh, open with you. The last four questions were sort of just reconnaissance on what we can steal from NB Lung and take a few programs and take them into Alberta. (laughs) We're better together. That is absolutely my motto. Do not reinvent the wheel. Um, You know, uh, take whatever you want and uh, let me know if if I can help to uh, implement this in your province as well. Definitely, yeah. Um, speaking of uh, more, well, back to radon. Uh, do, does I'm not sure if Atlanta, Canada. Well, it's it's harder because you you guys don't really have a Canadian Football League team. But have you heard of tackle radon? And and do you hope to get in on that sooner or later? Yeah, we've had some uh, discussions about tackle radon. I think it's a great initiative. Um, but where we don't have the any teams out here, it doesn't resonate as much. With our individuals, you know, you know, there are some people that are that are engaged in football, but it's not the same. It's it's not it's not the same hook out here as as it is um, with Albertans. 
repetitively. That does make sense. I just wanted to to kind of give a little bit back for taking so much of your programs for the past half an hour. So amazing. So with that, I just want to ask if you could share with our listeners how they can keep up with your great work and the work at NB Lung and what they're doing uh, to help support lung health in Atlantic Canada. Well, thanks again for the opportunity you know, just to get in front of a different audience. So NB Lung is accessible on um, your social media platform of choice. So we're Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, little tiny TikTok present. Um, so we are NB Lung uh, and the website is nblung.ca. So we always appreciate on any of those platforms, like, share, um, it, it goes a long way. And, and of course, uh, if donation is part of what you're able to do, always welcome that as well. Exactly. Perfect. So thank you so much for sharing that. Well, this has been such an amazing episode. And I would like to thank you, Melanie, for giving us your incredibly valuable time and teaching us uh, both Albertans and hopefully some people out in New Brunswick all about environmental factors like and, and climate change uh, that affect lung health. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And I look forward to working together. Of course, amazing. So with that, I'll just pass us straight through to the outro. What an amazing interview with Melanie. I am so grateful for her coming on the show and sharing both her scientific knowledge as well as her social and charitable knowledge. It is so invaluable to get ideas on programs that we could implement right here in Alberta from another provincial lung health charity. So I know that all of us here at Alberta Lung are so thankful for Melanie's time and expertise. As always, I will just end our show with three final concluding thoughts from the episode. First off, I thought that it was incredible when Melanie mentioned that one of NB Lung's goals is to have a world where lung disease is eradicated. It's amazing for many reasons, one being that Alberta Lung has the exact same goal, another being that if we reach that goal, we would put ourselves out of jobs at lung health charities, but if that's the price to pay for healthy lungs, I think we would all take that. And finally, just how lofty of a goal it is. To some, it may seem unimaginable, but it really starts with the small things, and that'll uh, I'll discuss that as we get further on to the concluding points, but it really starts with individual things that you do. Uh, we can't go super macro scale, like I said during the episode. You can't affect what the prime minister does, what uh, what their uh, what their effects are on lung health, whether they're direct or indirect. You can't. You have nothing to say for that, but you can affect what you do, and that leads right into my second concluding thought. And that second point is just about the individual changes that we can make in our lives to affect positive outcomes in our own lung health and the lung health of those around us. I know that a lot of the episode today was spent discussing very macro things like climate change and environmentalism, but sometimes it just takes the small things like not using candles anymore or making your own DIY house cleaner. It's just things that we can do on our own that don't really take the outside world into account, but will actually help the outside world if we do small things like drive less and bike more that releases less fossil fuels which are harmful for our lungs, like Melanie was saying in the PM 2.5 conversation. So a lot of small things eventually lead to one big thing, just small snowflakes gathering can eventually lead to a snowball which leads to an avalanche which leads to massive changes in lung health and that's what we need from everyone across Canada, across Alberta, across New Brunswick, from coast to coast to coast. We need small little changes to affect big change. My final point is on what Melanie said about perfect getting in the way of good. So this is when we try to make individual choices to better our lung health that don't seem perfect. We can't always be perfect. It's obviously incredibly difficult to do decrease our driving habits or completely stop using products with fragrances. But if we can just implement a few changes to better our lung health, it'll eventually have a cascading effect and we'll be better off for it in the long term. It, it, it sort of goes along the lines of what Melanie said when I asked her about how do you go scent free or fragrance free? 
And she said, it's, it's incredibly hard for someone with an advanced science degree and three label scanners on her phone to check the ingredients in products. It's still hard for her. She's the president and CEO of a lung health charity for crying out loud, and it's hard for her. So imagine how it is for someone just like me or you who has less experience in lung health. So it, it's about being kind to yourself. It's about taking small incremental steps, doing a little bit every day to make your lung health better. And honestly, one of the biggest things that I preach is that you can't see it today. Changes that you make today, you won't be able to see today. For example, scent-induced asthma. You might get scent-induced asthma 5, 10, 20 years down the road, and you don't even know that you're going to get it. But if you start reducing things that have an insane amount of fragrances today, if you reduce it today, it'll help you down the road. So just doing things today that will help tomorrow is something that I preach constantly. Okay, well, that'll do it for my final three concluding points. We mentioned it a few times on the show, but remember... With winter coming, radon issues are getting worse with the season change. People keep their windows closed, radon gets built up in our households, especially our basements, and problems arise. So visit www.ablung.ca forward slash radon to learn about radon and purchase a detection kit for your own home. Perfect. So that'll do it for this month's show. I'll leave you with our motto. As always, just remember to breathe.